It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden and this is The Leader. There's trouble brewing on some of Britain's most used commuter routes and season's greetings. Never mind the 12 days of Christmas, we've got eight days of national rail strikes to prepare for. Ministers are urging the RMT union to suspend industrial action, saying it will cost the UK economy in excess of £1.7 billion. His Transport Secretary Mark Harper speaking at an HS2 tunnel site. It's not my job to do the negotiating, but it is my job to work to help the two sides come together, hammer out a deal on reform of the industry, uh, on workforce reform, so that we can improve what gets delivered. That generates financial savings, which can then be shared between the taxpayer and the people that work in the industry, and then we can start improving the service passengers. But that's not all, because the Elizabeth Line could be hit by its first strike as the TSSA union began balloting its members in a dispute over pay on Friday. At the same time, South Eastern wants to cut some major services into London and of course we'll all be paying for it in the new year with those annual rail ticket rises plus big increases on the tube as TfL bosses look to earn over £1.5 billion extra from passengers. So how can we prep ourselves for the travel pain ahead? And could the answer lie in passenger power? Shortly we'll hear from rail expert and author Tom Haynes-Doran. But first, with the latest on what's to come over Christmas and the proposed cuts to those commuter routes, we're joined by Evening Standard Transport editor Ross Lydell. Ross, what do we know about these fare increases? Well, it's worth saying, first off, that the rail fare rises have probably happened in March rather than on the 1st or 2nd of January, as would have happened before um, the pandemic struck. Essentially, a couple of years ago, the Department for Transport decided to sort of try and ease the pain slightly and also prevent people being discouraged from going back to work or back to the office, rather, uh, by delaying the annual fare rise until March. And we expect that the next annual fare rise on the railways won't happen until March again, March 2023. And TfL has in turn moved its own annual fare review to coincide with the trains as well, because obviously many people use both services and use travel cards to change between the two networks. So it will be around then. Now, what we know is that the government's indication is that the rail fares will not rise by the same level as inflation back in July, which is the normal measure they normally use the rpi rate of inflation from july 
of the summer before to then inform the increase for the rail passengers the following January or March. And how about on the tubes? On the tube, what the government wants TfL to do, and this was part of its final sort of bailout deal in August, was that TfL should increase its fares, namely across all services, so tube, bus, London Overground, by at least 4%. Uh, the actual fare hasn't been set yet. It will be up to Sadiq Khan, the Mayor of London, to, to decide exactly how much fares will rise on the buses and on the tubes. Obviously, it's likely that the tube fares tend to rise a bit more and the buses a bit less because the buses are used by less well-to-do Londoners and therefore any increase there can really harm those who don't have much uh, money to uh, spend in the first place. But we can expect an increase around probably 4 or 5% next March on TfL services exact details to come. What have you learned about these proposed cuts to Southeastern services? And what's happening really is that Southeastern, which was actually taken under control by the government last year, is trying to reduce the number of services to save money. It's going to lose about 730 trains a week. It's basically saying that the number of passengers now using its services, particularly off-peak and on Mondays and Fridays, are still not anywhere near where they were pre-pandemic, and it's sort of running largely empty trains. So it's looking to do that. But what's particularly of interest here is that one of the services it's getting rid of is a loop train, which starts at Cannon Street, goes out in a big loop via Sidcup and Abbey Wood, and comes back to Cannon Street, sort of going through the suburbs. And what that does is offer a connection with the Elizabeth Line at Abbey Wood and some passengers who have been quite enjoying getting off the southeastern service and onto the Lizzie Line at Abbey Wood to come into the rest of London or go straight to Canary Wharf in particular are now very upset that this loop train is about to disappear. How much are they looking to save? Southeastern think that these changes will, will save £10 million a year, which isn't a massive amount in terms of its overall budget. And it does feel that there's quite a, a lot of disruption coming to passengers. MPs representing constituencies in this area are holding a debate in Parliament next Tuesday on this. And the big issue here is that there's actually no consultation by Southeastern. It wasn't actually required to consult passengers, strangely, because it's under the auspices of the DFT now, the Department for Transport. However, MPs are very upset. And what's interesting about this as well is that constituencies around Penge and Bromley have amongst the highest number of rail commuters in the entire country. So these are parts of London where there is no tube service. Many passengers here are very reliant on the suburban railways. And therefore, if you take away trains, they'll really notice it, especially at peak times. What do we know about the proposed Christmas strikes and any other disruption? It was already announced that some stations would have engineering work over Christmas, sort of between Christmas and New Year. I believe Liverpool Street is going to be one of the worst hit. And that happens every year anyway. Network Rail sees this as a good time to uh, carry out major engineering work. So first we'll have the strikes and then we'll have engineering work, then we'll have more strikes. These are strikes that have been called by the RMT on the national railways. So both it's in the ongoing dispute with Network Rail and with 14 train companies. Uh, however, these obviously have quite an impact on people trying to get in and out of London on the commuter trains that we were talking about earlier. There are many dates set before Christmas and then early January. And in a further twist today as well, one of the unions which has members operating the Elizabeth Line has said that it also is planning to uh, call a ballot. The ballot starts today on whether to take strike action in early January over pay. And that could be the first time the Elizabeth Line has been essentially brought to a standstill by strike action. 
Let's go to the ads. Coming up, author Dr Tom Haynes-Doran on passenger power and how to fix Britain's broken railways. Examples of where uh, commuters have got together and gone on a fare strike and they've refused to pay for the higher fares. Uh, And that's actually, uh, if you look at these examples, been very effective. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Now we're joined by Dr Tom Haynes-Doran, author of Derailed, How to Fix Britain's Broken Railways. Tom, first off, the big question for passengers is fare hacks. Any tips for saving a few pounds? Yeah, I mean, there are some, and I mentioned them in, in my book. So people might know about split ticketing, for example, gives you some options. Uh, that's where you buy multiple tickets for the same journey, which can be cheaper than buying uh, one ticket. So one example is that you start a journey, most of which is, say, it's going to last all day and goes across the country, and only the first part is in the peak period. Well, if you just go to the station and ask for a ticket, they may very well sell you that peak ticket fare for the whole journey. Whereas actually you could split the fare once the peak passes at 9.30 after a couple of stops and then have a separate off-peak fare for the rest of the journey and that will work out in total a lot cheaper. What I would say is actually for quite a few journeys they don't exist. It's usually not an alternative option on on commuter fares. So all I'd suggest to passengers mainly is um, maybe we need to take a leaf out of what the rail workers are doing and and start to refuse some of the positions being put in. So I put in my example of, in my book, examples of where uh, commuters have got together and be, gone on a fare strike and they've refused to pay for the higher fares. Uh, and that's actually, uh, if you look at these examples, been very effective. Now, it's quite a sort of brave thing to do and it's quite an unusual thing to do. But I'm, I'm hoping to show that passengers do actually have some power here. And what have you identified as the biggest broken factor? Probably the main thing is actually affordability. So if you look at sort of driving or other forms of transport like coaches, for example, people sort of expect, uh, especially at busy times, to be delayed. And maybe people would be okay with being delayed as much as they are on the railways, which is a massive problem, if they weren't so expensive. So you can talk about different examples of fares, but what's the overall picture? Well, since the privatisation of the railways in the mid-1990s, fares have increased in real terms, so taking into account inflation, by about 40%. So I think that's we're going to have to make the system more accessible in many ways, but to make it more affordable is probably the only way we're going to encourage a lot of people to leave their cars at home, which is really necessary in the times we live in. And so how can these issues be fixed? The major problem at the moment um, is 
staff relations so uh, as you you well know most rail workers have been on strike quite a few times already this year and will be doing so more unless they reach an agreement with the government but what does reaching agreement with the government look like it only can entail an increase in subsidy to the railways so subsidy to the railway so government spending on the railways since privatization increased by five times and that was before covid and obviously covid had a big impact too and those subsidy increases have been baked in a lot of the money has disappeared in in ridiculous ways but we're paying the price now of previous policy failures so after rail track they brought in network rail which borrowed huge amounts of money from the private credit markets and then in 2014 was renationalized and when that was renationalized all of the costs of that borrowing came back to the taxpayer and that's why it's so expensive to pay for the railways now compared to most other countries in Europe or compared to how it was before privatization and finally tom thanks very much for your time what's your view on improving the environmental impact of public transport one traditional way of looking at this is say let's just invest in public transport well of course we need to invest in public transport but without taking more punitive mes- measures in terms of flying and driving then all you're doing is just adding more carbon emissions. You're just creating more journey opportunities. So there's a question, do we really need to be traveling as much as we do? I mean, a lot of people travel because they don't have a choice and they're not doing it for fun. And working from home certainly uh, has been an advance in that in that sense. But are the, are the government really supporting people to work from home? The last Labour manifesto, for example, had free broadband, which was derided by a lot of people. But maybe it's that kind of, helping things that we need that might help us get there Uh, and also can we use our roads better could we create uh, electric bus routes and that kind of thing and there's been quite an impressive explosion in cycling in london but that hasn't necessarily been replicated in other parts of the country there's more on this story in the evening standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk that's the leader we're back on monday at 4 p.m Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.